for people who are commonly eating animal products on a regular basis may have low levels of the classic antibiotics that we prescribe, like these um, cephalosporins and penicillins. They might have low levels thrown in the body when they didn't take any drugs. <laughs> and it's because they're eating animal products who are fed these antibiotics. These are the same drugs that we prescribe to people on a regular basis. They're being fed to animal products. This is the Plant Fueled Podcast. My name is Cass Warbeck. I'm a medical student, plant-based athlete, and vegan lifestyle advocate. This podcast is all about bringing you conversations to optimize your health and elevate your performance. Welcome back, and thank you for joining me. It's so good to have you here. Today, I'm happy to introduce to you one of my friends, Gregory Butler. We actually met through the organization nutritionfacts.org as volunteers and really connected over our love of health, fitness, and evidence-based nutrition research. I've been wanting to interview Greg for some time now, as he is passionate about discussing the interplay between nutrition and pharmacotherapy, so essentially the role of both diet and drugs in the prevention and treatment of disease. Greg obtained his doctorate of pharmacy with a minor concentration in nutrition from Massachusetts College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences. Internships during his training included placements at both the True North Health Center and the Barnard Medical Center. Currently, he is working on a master's in clinical research from the same institution. His research interests include the use of nutritionist medicine and lifestyle interventions for the prevention of disease. In this conversation, we dive into the science behind many common drug classes, such as drugs for high blood pressure and drugs for high cholesterol, and compare their efficacy to diet and lifestyle changes. This is an episode for anyone wondering if a dietary change could help them get off some of their medications, and also for those people out there who think it's wrong to be on any medication at all. A quick warning. We went pretty long with this one, so long in fact that I unfortunately had to cut it down. We discussed more than is published here, so I may need to have Greg on again in the future to cover what we missed. One note on terminology. When we refer to diet changes in this discussion, we often are referring to a whole food plant-based diet. This is a diet that is centered around minimally processed plant foods. Essentially, it is made up of fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, nuts, and seeds. There are no animal products like meat, fish, eggs, or dairy products and there are no processed foods such as fruit juice and french fries. Finally, a medical disclaimer. The pro- this probably goes without saying, but nothing we say is meant to be medical advice. It is for your information only. Please talk to your doctor before reducing or eliminating any medications you are taking. All right, sorry for the lengthy intro. Please enjoy my conversation with the plant-based pharmacist, Greg Butler. Greg, it's so good to finally have you here. I've been wanting to make this happen for a long time. So we've actually first got connected through nutritionfacts.org because we're both volunteers. Um, how long have you been volunteering for them? That's right. Um, yeah, so I, when I was starting my professional phase of the PharmD program, um, that fall was when I signed up to be a volunteer. Um, for the article retrieval team for Nutrition Facts. Um, That was 2016. So that's when we must have become acquainted on Facebook and uh, subsequently Instagram. And then we really met at the uh, PVNHC, the Plant-Based Nutrition in Healthcare Conference 2018. And... uh, we just sort of like linked up as if we were like, you know, nutrition nerds online. <laughs> and, uh, I know. Yeah, I, I, had, I had to look up the year. But yeah, 2018, it seems so long ago now. But um, yeah, I started on the article retrieval team as well. Um, we've come mm-hmm. a long ways since then. But yeah, yeah. I just I remember uh, meeting you in person at the conference and you're just I was in awe of like 
your energy and you're just talking to everybody and taking notes on everything. And I just remember yeah. thinking like, this guy is going to change this plant-based movement. Like he's going to be oh, a force <laughs> and I've been right so far. <laughs> so it's great to finally have you here. Thank you so much. It is truly a pleasure. Um, it's just, we're going to have hopefully the discussion of a lifetime. Um, and I'm a big fan of your podcast work. So, and we can touch on all these different stories that I had um, really learning about um, healthy lifestyle behaviors and it'll be fun. Yeah, I'm excited. We have a, a full disclosure. We have a long list of things to get through. So bear with us. Um, I'd like to get into your background first before we get into um, everything pharmaceutical. Um, so you have a doctor in pharmacy, uh, correct? That's right. What I find fascinating about you, though, is you incorporate like you're very passionate about whole food, plant based nutrition and diet and lifestyle. Um, maybe we can start by how did you even discover plant based nutrition and then go from there? Sure. That's a good start. Um, so I was always um, interested in um, fitness and um, specifically supplements when I was in high school um, and going looking into colleges. And um, when, um, so first I, I began my pharmacy program and then um, I remember being a freshman just on Instagram when that was a really, really big thing, uh, like the new Discover page. Um, and I saw Dominic Thompson, Dom Thompson. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, mm-hmm. but um, he's basically, oh, he's cool. <laughs> um, but it, I remember so clearly he was on the, my Instagram discover page and um, he made this big post like flexing these like epic muscles. And he's like, you don't need <laughs> any animal products to get enough protein to build muscle. And you could even be a better athlete um, being exclusively plant-based, not eating any junk food and animal products. And I read that and I was like, that is the fakest thing that I have ever heard. <laughs> and uh, I just, it was just so like mind boggling. I'm like, oh my God, like I can't believe somebody would actually think that you can um, be like an, your optimal athlete version of yourself without like, you know, the basic eggs, chicken and uh, high protein foods as we know them. Um and it was so profound that I just didn't forget it. So that was when the seed was planted. Um, and then there was a classmate of mine in my school who was beginning a YouTube channel, which is now very successful, basically all about her plant-based journey. And um, she was making all these grand claims in her YouTube videos saying that people that are plant-based, vegans, vegetarians have lower rates of cancer, lower rates of heart disease, lower rates of all causes of death. And I was like, that is just such, I can't believe somebody would say something so ridiculous that there's no way that there's any sort of like increased risk of any of these diseases. Um, Just from like, you know, your basic fish, chicken, eggs, like these are this is the meat of the meal, right? <laughs> and, yeah, all, all these things that we've been taught were healthy for so many years. Like I was very similar to yourself. Like I it was introduced to it through the like the health perspective of it. And it's just like, I asked all the questions, like where do you get your protein? All these things like that. So yeah. I'm glad I'm not alone. 
Yeah, I think you and I have uh, very similar, um, what's it called, uh, like intro stories um, to plant-based uh, eating and health. Because, um, so once I was like, all right, let me actually like test this hypothesis and like do my own research, um, see, see the sources of what these people are saying. And then basically like, you know, what people say, like, read everything I could get my hands on. And uh, that journey is still continuing, I want to say. It's not like I just like read the word vegan and was like, oh my God, like this is everything. It's actually a lot more like um, what we know about uh, science and health is based on, you know, the total amount of all of the literature and documentation on that's out there published in different countries all over the world throughout history um it's so amazing i i really love like the library and um how like my university's library or institutional library like it gets you so connected to what's out there and then the way that people uh do these systematic reviews there's just our knowledge of nutrition is always changing um and i was thinking um, I, I want to be like on as on top of it as I can. And so I'll listen to everybody and see their sources. Um, you know, you got to start somewhere. So you should definitely just listen to different professionals and then evaluate yourself. Like, okay, like how, how confident, like, what is the strength of what they're saying? Look at the sources that they're talking about. And, uh, so that brings us to where we are today where um, that professional for me was definitely Dr. Michael Greger um, from nutritionfacts.org um, and a lot of people who are like him. And we're just at this point where, well, I'm at this point where I feel like um, they have the best argument or they present the best, most powerful information um, about what makes a, what I call normal healthy diet. Um, and if some if some low carb person or a paleolithic uh, amazing professional who's like this prolific researcher like comes up and gives these talks presenting like a better diet or maybe some sort of, maybe like an optimal Mediterranean diet um, compared to whole food plant-based is what we're talking about right now. Mm -hmm. um, if they, if there's better literature coming out showing that you need a little bit of fish or um, something then I'll believe it, <laughs> but I'm just um, at this point where um, I want to talk a lot about how a whole food plant-based diet is what I consider a normal human diet um, because of all the information you have about its benefits. So that's yeah. how I became plant-based. <laughs> I love your story. And like say, I love how you're so evidence-based. You're like, if the research change, I'll change my views. It's not like you don't accept things at just face value. You dig into it. You look behind it. You make sure like who's saying this, um, where's the research, what's the strength of the research. And that's one of the things I really respect about you. So I just wanted to jump back. So when you um, said you were in school, so you have a doctor of pharmacy, you're a pharmacist. Um, why, why did you decide to study pharmacy and how do you integrate your passion for preventative medicine and nutrition as in a whole food plant-based diet with your work as a pharmacist? 
I love the way that you framed the question um, because you say, how do I relate being a pharmacist with preventative medicine? Um, because preventative medicine and nutrition, because that's what I, those are the words that I feel like I'm doing. Preventative medicine, it's just what I think of as normal medicine. So I don't think of, um, just being honest, and uh, and I don't speak for every pharmacist in the world or every plant-based pharmacist in the world. But um, for me, I I really feel like it's this isn't the holistic adjunctive like other option or the natural remedy. It's just normal medicine. It's just what are humans supposed to do for a normal rate of disease and disability just based on our species um what and maybe that sounded kind of weird <laughs> it makes sense to me but in other words um like what are we supposed to eat uh basically yeah. so and, what i'm yeah. yeah what i'm hearing from you is basically it's not like it's not one or the other. It's like you need pharmacy and then you have your normal diet and a whole food plant-based diet is what I'm hearing from you is like our default human diet. Everyone should be on this. That's our natural medicine. It's not something other. Am I getting that right? Absolutely. So, um, what I want to, um, what it implies when people, um, say, ask the question, how, what's pharmacy have to do with nutrition it's either saying one of two things. It could be the, implying the idea that they're not related at all. Like they don't understand any way that nutrition is related to your need for medication. And basically what we're going to be talking about today is that it, nutrition affects every single aspect, almost every single aspect, or just most that we know about for the most common diseases that people um, need their daily medications for. Um, so in my, so the reason I said that I think of that, think of plant, uh, whole food plant-based nutrition as a normal diet for people, it's basically saying that that has a huge impact if somebody changes their diet, has a huge impact on their need for medications. And um, I think, and what we're going to discuss um, later on is like, these are the things that I learned in school. This isn't some, like, conspiracy thing or, like, some deep corner. I mean, it's it's almost, it's almost not, like, a massive movement, but it's not, like, a deep corner of the internet where there's, like, a blog thing with, with just this group of doctors <laughs> that are, like, I think, like, being vegan is best or anything. It's, like, the, a lot of what I'm going to talk about is just what's in the basic guidelines, like, from the professional organizations that really just say there in black and white that a plant-based diet is the best option for your disease treatment first line. So, um, so there, it's just basically what I'm saying is it's so related. And for me, like my question is how is it, in what way is it not related? Because like, to me, it's all the same thing. And that's why I said, I think of it as just normal nutrition because this, you treat people with just the normal thing that they're supposed to do with that has the least amount of risk. And uh, so that's uh, my journey. My journey is still being written right now, but um, through this profession, but that's just how I think of it, honestly. <laughs> so, no, that's great. Um, be, I think it's a very important thing to bring up because I, 
many advocates of like completely plant-based diets or vegan diets, they often say that it's like almost one or the other. It's like, if you follow this diet perfectly, if you don't consume a drop of oil, if you, for example, or no animal products, then you won't need medication um, if you adhere to it properly. So there's a lot of almost shaming for people who are whole food plant-based or who are vegan yet still require medications. And that's kind of, there's, I think there's a fine line because there are some medications that you have a good chance of reducing or getting off of. And then there's other medications that you need because they're saving your life. So we're going to dig into that a little bit, but I guess, um, yeah, just a lot of people think the narrative is so black and white and they think if you eat healthy drugs are unnecessary and we want to discuss that. So I guess, what are your initial thoughts on that? And then we'll get into some specific drug classes and go from there. Yes. Perfect. You explained it so well. And um, I think it's so glad that we're discussing this on your podcast because this is something I think for each type of viewer that you have, I think it it really can apply to all of them because nutrition has a huge impact on um, all these different diseases. And it has has an effect to varying degrees for each one. It's different. Um, So as I was saying, the most it has a profound effect on the most common uh, chronic illnesses that are dealt with by pharmacists, like hypertension, diabetes, um, hypercholesterolemia, having high cholesterol. Um, and I believe that um, this is something that every pharmacist should be equipped with, this knowledge. They should know, um, have an idea of how powerful um, changing lifestyle habits and diet can really um, affect their need for the medication that they're coming in to pick up every month for every once in a while. Um, So I believe that um, this is for every pharmacist and every healthcare professional that they should um, take a look into this. It's all the information is free and it's being made more and more readily available for people to read. So basically nutrition and diet have a huge impact on health and disease status, disease prevention, disease treatment, but it does vary by individual diseases. That's right. So antihypertensive, what is the role of diet? And I guess what is hypertension? Got it. Okay. So antihypertensives, hypertension um, is the medical term for high blood pressure. And what Blood pressure is, in very simple, understandable terms, it's the pressure of your blood cells and the fluid and space of your blood vessels throughout your body um, and your whole cardiovascular system. Um, So there are a lot of causes of hypertension, high blood pressure. Um, But what I believe everybody should know is that one of the most significant contributors to hypertension is um, your sodium intake. And um, that's, that's one cause of hypertension, um, excessive sodium intake. And there are so many different things that affect um, your blood pressure. But if everybody ate a diet that had under the recommended the recommended 1,500 milligrams of um, sodium, 
then a huge amount of blood pressure medications wouldn't be needed to be dispensed. And a huge amount of the total amount of side effects that these antihypertensive drugs cause can be completely avoided. And um, that is, hypertension is the most um, significant risk, risk factor for death. Because you can think of hypertension as um, a disease itself, or you can think of it as this is just a symptom or a risk factor for later developing a heart attack or a stroke um, or, all, or a whole host of other diseases. So it's so important that people basically go through their day and live their life with um, appropriate blood pressure. Um, and in order to do that, for a lot of people, you could completely alleviate your need for hypertensive drugs just by abiding by that sodium count. If you could count up all the sodium on every package of food that you eat or look it up if it's produce, and you keep that um, sodium level low enough, then you might not need these drugs whose job is to basically counteract the effects of your original diet. Um, and it's, but for some people, that might not be the cause of their hypertension. So in some of these cases, diet might not do anything because the cause of your hyper, high blood pressure is your super high stress levels or anxiety and, um, or your adrenal, basically your pump up hormones are causing you to have a higher blood pressure. And diet can't do anything unless it's some sort of herbal. I'm glad you I'm glad you mentioned that because so often, yeah, again, we think like, okay, one cure for everything, but it's it's not. It depends on what the underlying cause is. And if the underlying cause is too much sodium, because of sodium retains water for anyone who um remembers their high school chemistry, the osmotic effect, you're going to pull more water when you retain sodium. That's why your blood pressure is increasing. And then <laughs> the high blood pressure can it puts more strain on your heart. It's hard on the blood vessels. It's not a good thing. Um uh I wanted to talk about because some of the um like it's very common for someone to be on an antihypertensive as they age. Um, a lot of people almost just think it's a normal part of aging and you just, oh, your blood pressure is getting high. You're going to have to take a drug soon. Um, is this truly the case or can you prevent this slow increase in blood pressure with diet and lifestyle? Yes. So now I'm glad that you ended the question with diet and lifestyle, because like I said, um, the cause of this increasing blood pressure as we age, it affects most people, over 50% of people as they age. Um, and most people develop this elevated blood pressure, um, but nutrition might not be everything. It might be other lifestyle behaviors like exercise that or that really maybe that maybe the exercise helps their stress or maybe their sleep, that's another option, um, is really, you know, the thing that they're missing to having a normal normal blood pressure, a, an ideal blood pressure. Another thing I want to quickly bring up is that foods, certain foods can have effects and certain mechanisms that are exactly the same, the exact same mechanism as the medication. But the difference is that vegetables have only beneficial side effects and medications also can come with um, unfavorable, intolerable side effects. 
Yeah, um, I wanted. Yeah. I actually wanted to talk about that a little bit. So, if someone is listening to this, um, the common antihypertensives are like diuretics, ACE inhibitors you hear, or calcium channel blockers, things like that. Right. Um, what are some of the side effects from these medications, and why would we prefer to do diet and lifestyle rather than just right. take these every day for the rest of our lives? The thing with uh, blood pressure medications, there's all these different classes and there's um, probably a couple that are first line, which you mentioned, like um, ACE inhibitors, NARBs, um, thiazidiuretics, um, I'm not sure if you said calcium channel blockers, um, all these things, and they all have different names. Those are just the groups of all the individual medications. And these are our most commonly prescribed things that we give out in the pharmacy, um, community pharmacy, and inpatient pharmacy world. These are very common medications and we use them a lot. Um, so with antihypertensives, they work, they have, each one has its own mechanism or way of bringing down your blood pressure to an ideal level, which is very important. Um, but the thing is that, um, these medications, we, we study them and we look after their, um, release onto the market, we look at how they affect our chances of survival and the side effect profile. So we basically have, so the role of a pharmacist in a lot of cases um, is to be knowledgeable about all the side effects, all the potential things that can go wrong, the rates at which these things happen, have the ability to look up online whether that's changed or not and confirm the validity of things that people hear. Um, so, um, in the case of mental hypertensives, basically, there's so many different things for each one. Um, but the main one, one main one is that you don't want your blood pressure to drop too low. Um, because anti-high blood pressure medications, they pull your blood pressure down. And if your blood pressure is too low, you'd stand up and get dizzy and hit your head or um, faint and lose consciousness. Um, so that's something you want to avoid. Um, different different uh, classes have different rates of that happening. And for every person, they have their own individual need, and that's what we need our physicians for to try to diagnose and um, elucidate which would be the best option for each person because they affect different races differently too. They affect different types of people differently. They affect people with different genetics differently. And now more often we're ha we're getting these genetic tests that. Um, for many medications, let us check which would be the best drug for this person. And um, it's great that we have this so-called uh, precision medicine, which basically means taking someone's genetic information and applying the best possible treatment. And um, I think it's so important for every type of pharmacist and healthcare professional to understand that diet has a huge impact on the course of someone's chronic illness because taking that and precision medicine, genetic information um, through pharmacotherapy, you, we really today can help people so much based on the latest things that we're finding out about um, genetics, uh, drug choices, and just an optimal healthy lifestyle. So um, that's the gist of it for hypertension. And then we've got um, other things to talk about too, but yeah, I just wanted, I just had a couple of small questions before we move on from this. Um, so I guess if someone's taking a blood pressure, I just kind of wanted to compare, like, let's say someone's cause of high blood pressure is too much sodium in their diet, too many processed foods. Um, so they're 
offered a dietary change or an antihypertensive drug. Um, what's the degree of change that a person might be like your average person might be able to expect from both? Like high pressure is generally defined as like 140 millimeter milli, <laughs> millimeters of mercury over uh, 90. Um, anything above that's hypertensive. Ideally, you want to be below that. Um, so how, like, if you take a drug, how much can people expect this number to be reduced versus with, say, dietary changes if someone went all in? I'm glad you brought this up. Um, first line thing in the um, American Heart Association, American College of Cardiology, slash all of these professional organizations come together and they make these guidelines um, based off of the best information that's published in the literature. And they all come together and say the same thing and they try to make the same treatment plan. So all professionals have a really evidence-based thing to apply to their their patients. And um, the first thing on there, the first treatment choice is lifestyle intervention. Um, And they recommend a DASH diet, D-A- SH for dietary uh, something to stop hypertension approaches, approaches, <laughs> approaches. to stop hypertension yeah <laughs> I'm like uh, what is a <laughs> sorry but um all good so and and I I'm not gonna do this topic the best justice because Dr Michael Greger and nutritionfacts.org you have to um, put in these show notes um, yeah for sure how not to die of hypertension. Because it's, I can't, I'm just going to do it better. (laughs) Rip off what he's going to say, where it's incredible that, you know, there are some populations that just do not have these high rates of high blood pressure because of what their diet is just basically based on. And um, we can really, you know, achieve um, huge reductions in need for blood pressure medications. Um, basically centering our diet around um, low processed foods and um, nutritious choices. And it doesn't have to be vegan. It just has to have sufficient amounts of these healthy compounds and lack the things that might contribute to elevated blood pressure, which is a whole host of things. All right. No, that's perfect. Um, I'll definitely link to some of those videos in the show notes because I agree. We'd just be basically quoting them. <laughs> it's better to watch the videos on your own. But um, yeah. I guess just in summary that like high blood pressure is very much so a disease or a risk factor, depending on how you look at it, that can be controlled and prevented through diet. And then there is some role for other lifestyle, like exercise, sleep, um, stress reduction, things like that. Um, but ultimately like this is coming from a pharmacist. If you address your diet, address your nutrition, you drastically reduce the need for ever having to take these medications. Is that a fair summary? Absolutely. Perfect. Um, Mm. I just had I think just one other thing I wanted to touch on here is like some people get frustrated because like, okay, I'm trying to do all this. I'm doing it right. Why is my blood pressure not dropping? Um, I think for these people, it's almost like, I guess it could be a bit of a genetic difference like that. They could have more stress in their life. But again, this is coming from Dr. Greger, but um, try adding ground flaxseed to your diet, adding in hibiscus tea, more like dark leafy green vegetables, things like that. So there, there's a few like specific foods that might be out of like really um, increase the effect. Is that Absolutely. kind of your approach? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, I'm glad you, um, 
you threw that in there because there's um, a huge um, amount. And like I said, some of these foods have the same mechanism as these medications. So like hibiscus tea, for example, um, I learned in my herbal medicine um, rotation that this has a, a, somewhat of a diuretic effect, just like those loop diuretics we talked about. And yeah, I just, again, just wanted to say a big message on this podcast is the more plants, the better. We're not advocating everyone go 100% vegan, um, just eat some more greens and you'll be better off than you were the day before. Um, So maybe we'll leave high blood pressure there. If there's any other thoughts or you think of something, um, we can always jump back to it. But I did want to move. (laughs) You look like you have more to say. There's just one thing I got to say before I even (laughs) say this. Go for it. (laughs) Um, So for antihypertensives, I didn't want to miss that um, maintaining a a regular blood pressure through medications is great. Um, And I wanted to, I also wanted to, this explains something else I wanted to touch on. Yeah, go Um, for it. But um, if you figure out that you are really doing everything that is out there in this evidence that we're sharing, and you're still not achieving, you know, the right blood pressure, which is for some people below 140 over 90, and then others, I think, um, 130 over 80, um, because they kind of, the idea is the lower, the better, um, mostly. Um, But um, maintaining that with medication, if that's what you need, then own it. And you should be so happy. Um, I know some people hate like the idea of pharmacy and pharmacists and drugs and medication, but you should be so happy that this is this prescription that you got is actually like the most regulated and intensively inspected type of products that you can get from what's out there. Um, and you should, you should own it and be happy to be like, okay, so I got my drug and I can look up any side effects or something and you should own it and be happy, um, and try to adhere to it on a daily basis and talk to your doctor, um, when things change. So I want to get that out there. I don't want to sound like we're anti-medication or anything. That's perfect. Um, that's one of the messages I wanted to get across here is it's not one or the other it's like a combination ideally and if you need medication by all means um it's reducing your risk of heart disease so continue to take it exactly um all right so i think a good place to start off would be like what is a statin how do they work and maybe some of the side effects like just go from there okay like we said you need to maintain um this low enough blood cholesterol level um because Having high cholesterol, elevated cholesterol, um, LDL cholesterol in particular, um, is the main risk factor or the main reason that, um, in addition to high blood pressure, that you will, that you may, um, or many people do, suffer from a cardiovascular event like a heart attack or a stroke and a couple of other types. Um, so having a, so despite all the things that, uh, the ideas that people have about cholesterol, maintaining an LDL cholesterol of below 70, um, as evidenced by the Framingham heart study, um, is cholesterol below 70. And these are, this is the study that we're basing our guidelines of off of. There's this 
risk cal calculator. It's based off of these big population studies um, and our ability to treat blood pressure that show that having a LDL cholesterol of below 70, oh, I hope the units are the same for- uh, No, they're, they're different. Oh no, okay. <laughs> it's all um, good, we're uh, millimoles per liter. Um, uh, <laughs> I think well, we're taught that um, like when we treat um, like high cholesterol, we want to be below 2.0 millimoles per liter. So maybe okay. all the Canadian listeners can just keep that in mind. Ideally right. with medication below two. Um, but right. keep on in your units. It's all good. There's a lot of American listeners as well. Okay. So some people have this goal of getting their LDL below 70 when they're diagnosed with high cholesterol. Um, the, and I, you want to be, we want to be careful um, discussing these targets because it's, these are just from guidelines that we're rattling off when in reality, every single person is different. And um, a per the professional that they're working with will probably have the best chance to, especially if they're educated with this knowledge about um, different options, your professional will be the one to give you your actual target that you'll benefit the most from. Um, but that being said, um, having an LDL cholesterol, sometimes below 70, some people make the goal like 90 or 100 because there's evidence behind it. Um, or and you want to balance out that opportunity of benefit with the risks that come with it. So let's segue into the side effects. Mm -hmm. um, so this is where it's like, all right, people might think Dr. PharmD is biased towards his drugs, but <laughs> the argument is, um, well, it's a it's a pretty back and forth mm -hmm. argument in professional discussions, and I'm just. Um, new practitioner just reading what people's opinions are because you got to start somewhere and um yeah. people are and even in the plant-based community are sort of uh debating like the role of medications in uh, managing heart disease and i'm just a a pharmacist player in this who's aware and wants to actually understand what these professionals are pointing towards um and there's this sort of debate on whether it's worth it or not taking a stat and there's a huge, um, uh, uh, huge uh, direction of uh, people saying that statins are so beneficial. And even in my plant-based practice, um, a lot of doc, a lot of you know the most um, successful of these uh, plant-based practitioners, they they just prescribe statins um, to get your cholesterol low enough when you need it. Um, and you know there's and once you get there and um, if you're doing a healthy lifestyle, maybe you won't even need it. But the thing is that these medications, statins, the evidence shows in a lot of these big studies that you're going to live a longer life when you take this drug because, because it lowers your cholesterol. That's a huge thing to, to bring up um, because it lowers your cholesterol. And maybe there's some, maybe there's some side benefit um, and then the side effects, it's okay. There might be a couple side effects you don't like where there's like muscle pain or something, myopathy. Um, but you're going to live a longer life based off of these studies where people are getting their cholesterol low enough. Um, so I believe every healthcare professional should know that you can, you can get that low enough cholesterol with a healthy enough diet. 
And it's, I, it sounds like we're sort of repeating what we said about hypertension, but there's certain foods that help pull your cholesterol down <laughs> and it's incredible. <laughs> so um, what are you going to say? Yeah. Yeah. I would just like to jump in here. So um, I completely agree with you. Like statins, um, I have seen research, they save lives, they reduce mortality. Um, so if anyone is listening to this and they're on a statin, then um continue with it, but perhaps consider dietary changes along with it. Um, in medical school, we've been taught that like, no matter who you are, lifestyle and diet is still the first line treatment. Um, it obviously varies how much emphasis is put on this, but it's still written in the guidelines. Um, but another thing we're taught is that, um, diet and lifestyle can only, um, lower cholesterol, a maximum of maybe 20%. And it's often not sufficient. So it's almost like we're given this message that like, okay, tell them to change the diet, um, exercise more, but ultimately they're still going to need a statin. I would just like, um, what are your thoughts on this? And, um, can, a, can someone actually expect to not need a statin if they appropriately address their diet? That's a great question because, when you do look at these studies like of the DASH diet or of a, a healthy cholesterol diet, um, and the reports come out and you can only, they only show like max 20% reduction in cholesterol, for example. Um, that's great. Um, it's good. But I just want to say that, you know, there are places in the United States and other places, there's a couple, there's not many, but there are these 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 uh, centers, health centers, where people go in and they do nutritional therapy and no medications, like no statins, <laughs> and they achieve a cholesterol that's ideal for them. Um, and there is this need for more research, absolutely. Um, you can see. I think it's understandable why. Um, there needs to be uh, more awareness and why we're not really achieving awareness of um, how nutrition can affect health because we do need more research, but there's just enormous amounts of case reports and, um, you know, studies coming out more and more that show that um, you can achieve drastic cholesterol changes. Um, and I believe that people deserve to be told, um, they deserve to be given the different options. Um, so yes, you can probably, I mean, I, I want to, um, maybe include a show note or something that links you directly to an example or a, a good study that shows that, but I, I totally believe you can, can make ma massive changes based off your diet. Yeah, I, be I believe so too. And um, we've all seen some of the amazing case studies in like the movie Forks Over Knives and things like that. And some of Dr. Elselstein's patients who um, changed their diet and avoided any future cardiac events. So I, yeah, I'm with you there. I think that um, diet and lifestyle can definitely lower your cholesterol more than 20%. Um, but again, we're not saying that um, every single person out there who is on a statin, if you change your diet, you're going to be able to get off that. There might be a good yeah. chance, but um, there's individual differences. And um, absolutely, it's just one of it's one of these options that you should be told about. Um, that I think I believe everybody deserves to know that this is a choice. But I want to say that mm -hmm. um, I believe what I do because a lot of my professors completely know all about this and discuss that 
in their lectures to our whole pharmacy class because that's they know. Amazing. Yeah. So that's something I, I, I feel like we were talking a lot about um, these medications and, and the different um, ways they affect disease, but I wanted to touch on these uh, stories where um, my professors like mm-hmm. tell me what I know about, you know, how li- lifestyle affects uh, disease. It's not some like random thing from the internet. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, yeah. that's a perfect point to make. Um, there's research backing all of this up. Um, yeah. So I guess uh, we can maybe move on to the next kind of category we have here. Um, unless you have something else you want to stay on statins or lipid lowering meds. But I think the message was kind of the same, like diet and lifestyle right. is your first line treatment. And then if you yeah. still need a medication, don't be scared to take it. Um, that's kind of yeah. the message and what I've heard. Absolutely. Maybe moving into the next class here, another big one, diabetes drugs. So I know it's, it's pretty broad and I'm just going to kind of lay the ground here is we are clear. There are two different types of diabetes. Well, there's more than there's kind of a spectrum, but um, type one and type two are the main ones. So type one, this is often known as like your childhood onset diabetes. So where you're born, your pancreas is not functioning at all. These are the people that require insulin injections. Um, because they're simply not secreting insulin at all. And then there's the type two diabetes that is commonly known as more of like a lifestyle induced um, chronic disease, whereas this often develops later. And these are the people that maybe diet might be a little bit more efficacious. These are the people that are, um, they might be on metformin and only at later stages do they really need the insulin injections because their pancreas is still making some insulin. So two broad camps there. Um, I guess if you want to give a, a bit of an overview, sure. um, maybe about the medications for each, and then we can you can take it from sure. there. So that's a it's a great time to segue into diabetes because um, I wanted to bring up how I said you know some teachers are like they've never heard of this or some people they they really believe it because I have the best examples of that. Um, and so, like you said, there's some types of diabetes where you are insulin dependent. It's sometimes known as insulin dependent diabetes when you're at that point. Um, because basically the source of your insulin is damaged for, uh, several, for basically harder to elucidate mechanisms. (laughs) But, um, so, so there's, there's this whole spectrum of different types of diabetes diseases, but there's something they all have in common when it comes to uh, managing your blood glucose. And that is that these medications um, improve insulin sensitivity or, or sometimes the medication is insulin. And um, so that's a, a big topic for um, the mastering diabetes uh, reference that we, we've got mm-hmm. to give because these are these guys, um, Robbie and Cyrus from Mastering Diabetes have really broken it down to a science um, where how much you can improve all of these types of diabetes with diet. And um, it's different for each type, but for some of them, if you catch it early enough, if you do it right, um, you might not need any diabetes medication whatsoever. For example, if you're a young type two diabetic because your A1C, which is a measure of your previous blood glucose of recent, if, when your A1C is really high, but you're young and you have the opportunity to be health, to eat healthy and be fit and get sleep, you can 
completely reverse the diabetes, basically. Let's just say type two diabetes. We'll just start there. Um, sure. What, I guess, what are some of the common drugs and then maybe some, uh, just a couple common side effects and then um, just quickly, what diet would you recommend to someone who is maybe taking those medications, but would want to maybe right. see if they can reduce that? This information I'm about to say is from my pharmacy school. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> so I had a professor that um, was teaching us um, for the, for our diabetes certification. He was, he was sort of like a, a proctor for the big uh, national pharmacy associations certification for diabetes that they, they think pharmacists should have for diabetes care. And he was one of our teachers um, giving the lecture and he was um, walking us through the workshop, answering questions, and we were doing a little breakout session. And um, I was sitting in the front, and he um, asked me how I was doing with like the worksheet. And um, we got into a discussion about the populations that have the lowest rates of diabetes. And he was like, "Oh, do you know about like the Okinawan Japanese?" And I was like, "Oh, do you know about like the Loba Linda Seventh Day Adventists?" <laughs> he was like, "Yeah, yeah, you read like." China study and I'm like yeah have you read like how not to die and he's like <laughs> oh yeah I love these guys and I'm like okay <laughs> um so when he was teaching the lecture in front of um you know our whole pharmacy class which is like 250 incoming pharmacists um he was talking about how insulin can be a very dangerous drug um because there are people that have diabetes that need insulin to live, um, uh, depending on their circumstance. And um, but how very tight control of your blood glucose, in other words, treating the diabetes disease with a lot of drugs, um, can actually be um, not as beneficial for their lifespan because it's such a dangerous drug. If you if you overdo your insulin requirements, it can, it can harm your body in terms of lifespan. So he was telling this to everybody and I, and I ask, um, and he's explaining how you, how you dose insulin because you need to make sure you're giving them the right amount of insulin for their benefit. And so I ask if somebody is 100% committed to, um, healthy lifestyle behaviors, like a perfect diet and best possible exercise regimen and everything for them, then how are you going to dose their insulin? Because that doesn't diet like matter. And he said, well, I'll tell you about one patient that we had in our clinic. And um, he was like a 300 pounds male um, with all of these diseases, high cholesterol, hypertension, diabetes. Um, and we at our clinic are aware of um, whole food plant-based nutrition. He said that the patient underwent a whole food plant-based diet protocol for um, two years, I believe. And he eliminated first his need for all insulin. You have to keep lowering the insulin therapy to match their rate of insulin resistance as they are on this very powerful diet. <laughs> you have to lower the amount of insulin according to their blood glucose. Until they're off, he was off of insulin altogether. This is a real person. Um, and 
Then you take off diabetes drug number two, because we should say that when somebody has bad enough diabetes, they're going to need to be on the first line metformin drug, a second additional agent probably out of the variety of the classes, and then insulin, which is the, it's what will manage their blood glucose no matter what, but it's the most dangerous, so it's saved for last. So when you're going on a plant-based diet, you go in reverse order um, to tapering down on those medications. So first you lower the insulin dose to the point where they don't need insulin. You lower the dose of the second additional agent until they don't need it anymore. And then after a while, this man was had such well-controlled blood glucose that he didn't need metformin <laughs> um, anymore. Lower the dose of metformin until you don't need it anymore. And um, so um, that is crazy because metformin is different from these other drugs that we're talking about so far with the other diseases because metformin's side effect profile, as a pharmacy student, recent graduate, I think it's not that bad. You get There's sometimes a little bit of stomach upset and you want to watch people's kidney function when you give the dose. But metformin expands lifespan. It expands the amount of years that you live because it's one of its many functions is improving your insulin sensitivity, which is the cause of all these types of, or a major contributor or, or problem with all these different types of diabetes. So metformin is just so good. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm just going to say it um, explain it in that way that um, there's a very low risk associated with being on metformin because it's so good for helping with your management of blood glucose and insulin sensitivity. And he didn't even need it because his diet was that good. He lost the obesity, lost 100 pounds um, about, and this is very broad. I wish I um, had the exact case report in front of me, <laughs> but um, it's totally, you can, diabetes is in many cases, in most cases, a disease caused by an inadequate diet, um, not enough healthy enough diet, a, health, a, health, a diet that is not <laughs> rich enough in whole plant foods, and it doesn't have to be vegan, like 100% no animal products, but it has to have an amount of vegetables, nutrients, fiber, water, and all of these phytochemicals that work together to really give you a normal risk for diabetes. Not like you have diabetes just because you're eating those foods, but like you might, there might be some environmental toxin that contributes to diabetes, for example. Best known was the Agent Orange chemical warfare uh, in the Vietnam War. That's a huge, that was at one point. Um, it gave people the illness of diabetes. It had nothing to do with donuts. <laughs> so like the other ones. But for diabetes, it's mostly a diet-induced disease. Um, and in most cases, if you catch it early enough and it doesn't really do a lot of the damage that comes from having it for too long, it's possible to come off of all of your diabetes medications and not need to worry about any of the risks associated with them. So... Yeah. These drugs are an option, and this nutrition is an option, and people deserve to be to understand the um, risks and benefits of both. 
That's incredible. Like I love hearing some of the case studies. I know there people always be like, oh, it's just a case study. But like when there's enough of them, yeah. um, some of them are truly incredible. And um, just to clarify, so when you come off all your medications, that would be a type one or sorry, type two diabetic. Two. Um, yes. But I just want to touch on briefly um, those people living with type one diabetes that do require insulin. Is it possible that by um, optimizing their diet, um, so more whole food, plant-based, like low fat, can they reduce the amount of insulin that they are required to inject? Is that potential for the type one? So, um, absolutely. <laughs> and, um, I just have to refer people to, um, either your podcast or their website, Mastering Diabetes, because mm -hmm. they will, they do this with yes. specifically diabetes patients and it's amazing. So I actually shadowed at the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine um, medical offices and we had a patient that um, with type, sort of like a type 1.5 diabetes, that's a whole nother thing, but it's similar to where you're at this point where you might need um, some insulin therapy and um, mastering diabetes was the resource that these dietitians and doctors were sort of presented with him and he was working on that program and he was lowering his insulin needs. Even though he's going to be dependent on some, he lowers that exposure to something that can be potentially not so beneficial. But that would be best explained by um, the guys in Ashing that Ladies. <laughs> yeah, well, no. that's right. Robbie and Cyrus are incredible. We'll definitely like check out Mastering Diabetes, listen to some of their podcasts um, if you haven't already. Um, if you're a type one or a type two diabetic, that is the go-to we recommend. So I think next what we wanted to touch on was obesity medication. So right. this could be a fun one. Yeah. So just a quick touch on this one. This is different from these other most common um, ailments because this is a different... Um, <laughs> ratio of which one might have a greater benefit because the medications that are available for treating obesity barely work <laughs> and um it's just it's like this is what we learn in school like it's got this like very small effect um and but real <laughs> nutritional therapy is the answer and it's different. It's similar to diabetes, where this is a diet-induced disease. There might be a little bit of environmental switch, but way, much more so for um, excessive body fat, obesity, and morbid obesity. This is really a diet-induced disease that can almost always not require any medication um, to manage in most cases. <laughs> Um, so I wanted to bring that up because that's what my, I have professors who sort of allude to the fact that, yeah, some people might need this drug for their obesity, but, um, that's something where I differ a little bit and think from what I've seen, I don't think that's the case like whatsoever. And I think people deserve to know that almost all cases, you have a chance at fighting your diabetes with a helping out diet. So that's just 
that part. No, that's perfect. And I just, in some of my background reading on this, I just have to mention this. Um, So I think one of the drug classes um, in obesity medication is they actually block the absorption of fat. So you're actually like not even absorbing fat um, in your small intestine. So you're kind of just excreted all this fat. And I I know one of the side effects is actually like anal leakage. Um, I just have to throw that out there. Like if you have a choice between a fat malabsorption drug or changing your diet, um, there's no downsides, no side effects to diet. So that's where I'm leaning, but (laughs) just had to put that out there. Absolutely. Yeah. So I wanted to say like the drug, like the brand name, I don't feel, (laughs) I'm not that like confident in my, <laughs> I don't want to talk down on, you know, yeah, we'll leave that people. <laughs> but, um, but I know exactly what you're talking about. And the resource to recommend for that is at your local library or bookstore, just take a peek into how not to diet from Dr. Gre- Michael Greger. Um, because it's such an incredible resource where it breaks down, um, really the entire obesity epidemic, all the potential causes and how, um, a healthy lifestyle is really the answer for that. So. Yeah. And just, um, as we're wrapping this up, um, on the obesity, just, I guess, why whole food plant-based is so effective in, um, treating obesity and maintaining a healthy weight is because your plant foods generally are lower in caloric density than animal foods. So you can eat a greater volume of food, you can feel full, you can feel um, satiated, but you're not consuming as many calories. So oftentimes patients will adopt this type of diet and they don't, they're not counting calories. They're not, they're not hungry all the time, yet they're dropping weight. So that's, that's huge. And I wanted to add in a little bit of um, additional perspective on that topic, which you described perfectly, is that um, you can, if you want have a high calorie plant-based diet. And um, that's important to understand for um, people that, that feel like they're just not satisfied or they're just not getting enough energy on what they attempt, which is just all vegetables and no legumes, whole grains, nuts, seeds, and fruits, high calorie options. And um, a little bit of personal experience. I hope we get to um, exercise supplements. You will. Uh, but um yeah, I gained uh, 30 pounds about, um, basically exclusively whole food plant-based. It doesn't have to be this super skimpy, low-calorie thing, even though low-calorie is great for um, addressing your disease. And I also want to add, um, if, you are, if you feel like you are prone or you feel like you have um, struggled with... Um, eating disorder or eating behavior habits that you shouldn't be you shouldn't feel um you shouldn't feel pressured into eating less or really thinking like oh no i'm too fat and there's no sense of fat phobia or fat shaming um that should be part of someone's professional practice because that's not the way to get people excited about um getting healthy and getting fit so it's got to be positive and um understands where people are coming from exactly you're not losing weight to just like uh, achieve a certain body ideal you're if you need to lose weight it's because you're trying to be healthier and yeah so I guess everyone's thinking about like the pandemic that we've all just experienced um that's the infectious disease that comes to my mind but um I guess like 
are there drugs that we can take to reduce our risk of infection or enhance immune system or, yes. or is diet really the best option here? Um, I like that you asked both, um, enhance the immune system or um, uh, drugs that affect risk of infection. Because absolutely. And um, I love the topic of infectious disease because I believe that's where medications are the answer. The way that we're talking yes. about nutrition as the answer for um, all these common chronic diseases, like that's the answer, like good diet and lifestyle. It's for infectious disease. I, I just want to say that what I've been presented is that um, the options that are pharmacotherapeutic are our best shots at preventing the death and disability that comes with all various types of infectious diseases when we come across them. Um, so, but there's so many different ways to take that because there's so many different types of infections. Um, but the thing that I need to bring up here um, is the fourth reason. <laughs> well, this is just how I explain it. The fourth yeah. reason that you should be vegan because a lot of people just have this common understanding who are in the plant-based movement that it's all about the health of people, the environment, the planet, planetary health and the welfare of animals. And these are all just huge drivers for um, people to want to eliminate their intake of animal products and contribute to factory farming. The fourth reason is that we are facing what is called a post-antibiotic era, a PAE. So if that was just like a whole bunch of random words to you, a PAE is like those movies on Netflix where everyone is like dying. Like those dramas, these like thriller science fiction where everyone's dying of this crazy disease and our world is in trouble. <laughs> that is a post-antibiotic era because they, we are facing um, trends in the effectiveness of our antibiotics that are declining. So our drugs that we use to fight infection are getting less and less effective and we're not really like making any more is the huge problem and uh it sounds so random and a lot of people have never heard that before but the fourth or maybe can be your number one reason to stop contributing to factory farming and this is the thing that's going to make people be like all right this is just a whimsical student boy because <laughs> this is i think you should also cut down your meat intake because people that um, just regularly enjoy their animal product foods, chicken, fish, steak, have low levels of antibiotics flowing through their bloodstream on a daily basis. And that's something that's never talked about. And we need like an entire discipline of professionals who study these drugs in and out. It's like the biggest section of the licensure test. It's like the biggest, it's a huge chunk of our school. We're learning all about all the bad things these drugs can do, all about the good things these drugs can do. But you should, every single pharmacist should be able to tell people, one, <laughs> that um, antibiotics are present in animal products very commonly. Why are they common in animal products? That is a great question. 
So people who are commonly eating ML products on a regular basis may have low levels of the classic antibiotics that we prescribe, like these um, cephalosporins and penicillins. They might have low levels flowing in the body when they didn't take any drugs. <laughs> and it's because they're eating animal products who are fed these antibiotics. These are the same drugs that we prescribe to people on a regular basis. They're being fed to animal products. And you think like, oh, you might think at first thought, and this is what I thought too, that um, oh, like factory farming where they're breeding and producing all these animals for consumption is so dirty that there's all these infectious diseases. And so these animals need these antibiotics um, to, to keep those infectious levels down for the meat. It's not um, completely like that, even though these factory farms are breeding grounds for dangerous infectious diseases to emerge. Um, quick fact. The CDC states, you look on their website, 20% of all um, antibiotic resistance, so basically the power of infectious diseases to overcome the medications that we have, 20% of all of that comes directly from factory farming. So um, that's a whole different thing. But um, but uh, they feed the animal animals um, antibiotics as part of their feed to actually fatten them up and get them big and bulky for um, consumption, for human consumption, for profits. Because, this is getting complicated, but uh, the antibiotics kill the, basically they kill the gut microbiome. Um, they do that to ours, but they also do it to the animals. And, um, but they can kill off these mi microbes, good bacteria that regulate, um, it's, if this is confusing, it's because I'm talking about humans and animals. When we take antibiotics, or when, especially when animals are really blasted with these antibiotics, it kills their gut flora, their gut back, good gut bacteria, and causes them to be like these hungry eaters that get clumped up to make some good profitable meat for our, us humans to sell and eat. And then um, the animals excrete some antibiotics, but then people eat them. And um, so I don't want to make any grand conclusions about low amounts of antibiotics in people's food because there's nothing to freak out about, really. It should just be brought up and people should be aware um, that there's another place where these drugs show up besides the pharmacy and uh, you have a choice about whether or not you want it in your body. That's That was a great explanation, actually. So just... Uh, just quick summary then. Um, so these animals are given antibiotics. Um, interrupt me if I get anything wrong. But these animals are given yeah. antibiotics because ultimately it helps them grow faster so they can be more profitable. We can create more meat. And then when people consume, oh, and then because we're giving them so many, these antibiotics on such a large scale, it's increasing the rates of antibiotic resistance. And yes. this is a problem because once these rates increase, eventually our antibiotics aren't going to work. And then yes. it's it's yeah. actually reality that we could die from these like very simple infections if like penicillin that's, doesn't work anymore. So that's where the apocalypse comes in. I don't want to like freak anyone out and say that we're we're all gonna die or anything. But like um you should really understand that this whole COVID pandemic that we face. Maybe uh, some people say it came from a, from a lab. They, they read the emails with, with the president. I have no idea of um, like 
that type of fingerprinting evidence of where COVID-19 came from. But I do know the discussion about how this is probably or very potentially caused by the transfer and consumption of animal products from factory farm uh, culture that we have. And um, if, it, if, the, if actually I didn't read the president email thing and it's actually from a lab and it actually escapes, I have no idea. Like, I'm just a guy. <laughs> but um, yeah. there are other diseases that are just like COVID. There are coronaviruses. And we got to watch out for when they mutate. And that's the huge concern that they can change, they can adapt. And um, we are currently just watching the different infectious agents in these factory farms and just watching and inspecting and waiting and hoping they don't transfer to become human diseases when they transfer from animal disease to human disease. And um, so pharmacists, the reason I bring this all up is because we learn in school and I, I learned in my antimicrobial stewardship elective that pharmacists are the driving professional force that is fighting antibiotic resistance in the hospitals, in the pharmacies, in the communities. We are there and we have this duty based off the oath that we took that we are going to be the best pharmacist that we can be and we are going to stop antibiotic resistance as part of that. Um, so that's just my perspective on it. And um, that's not something, well, that is something we discussed in my elective in school. This isn't some dark corner of the internet conspiracy. This is like what I as a pharmacy trainee obtained. And um, so that's what I would really want to share with everybody. No, that's very powerful. And so basically like, out of that, if we want to reduce the rates of antibiotic resistance and reduce the risk of potentially another um, infectious agent that um, uh, infects the world, then really reduce your consumption of animal products. So to round it out here, um, I wanted yeah. to leave exercise for last because I do want to acknowledge that you're quite an athlete yourself. I've seen you snowboard, you skateboard. I'm pretty sure you rock climb. Um, so I'm curious, before we get into the, kind of the supplements, like what are you most passionate about right now, sport-wise? So I like rock climbing right now. That's my thing right now. So let's let's say you're going out um, hard day rock climbing. What do you fuel your body with? What is your pre-workout meal? Sure. All right. <laughs> the pre-workout meal. So this is another topic about nutrition and pharmacy that um, I'm not, I don't have a lot of chances to really get into and discuss, but I do it every single day. Um, in my practice, for what I do for myself and my friends and family, and um, just uh, what I'm interested in very much so as an athlete, um, as a hobby. So um People don't really understand that in a lot of these cases, these pharmaceutical man-made products, um, sometimes the active ingredient in those things are literally things that we have in, in nutrition, in, in the food supply. And the only difference is in some cases, the supplements or pharmaceutical options that are out there, in some cases, those have these side effects that we keep talking about. And, um, or when we're talking about exercise supplements, actually the first most important thing to bring up is that most likely some random thing that you order online is going to be contaminated with something that you like, that you don't want. And um, that's the thing with protein powder, for these multivitamins, 
it's if you took any random thing you, that looks good to you online, you think like, oh, I need some of this vitamin or this pre-workout thing. And it's not from your pharmacy, not to say that the world of pharmacy is beautifully flawless. But if you are seeing it online, odds are it's contaminated with either heavy metals, the incorrect product. Sometimes it might not have what it says on the label. And um, that's what every pharmacist will tell you. And the, the real ideal goal is that you don't need to take all these things. You don't need these things you're supposed to do. You're just supposed to, to live a, a regular lifestyle. And you won't need any like things to throw on top because we don't, we want you to get the right vitamins, but we don't want you to get all these random contaminants like heavy metals and your protein powder. Um, so, like I said earlier, sometimes those supplement things, they got their ingredient from just regular, normal, healthy lifestyle food. <laughs> um, and the first thing that comes to mind and that everybody should really consider is arginine, which is an amino acid sorry, excuse me, arginine, which is an amino acid um, that is used in these pre-workout powders, um, which is a precursor to the release of nitric oxide. And now you might think, what the heck was that? What did you just say? <laughs> um, so what basically, arginine, good blood flow, muscle pump. And that's, this is a, uh, it can be a synthesized amino acid ingredient in a pre-workout supplement, or you can get it in beets, spinach, Swiss chard, arugula, um, beet greens, fennel seeds, um, and certain select other dark green leafy vegetables and um, herbs. But it's the same thing, but it didn't come in that supplement package that is most likely got something that you don't want. And um, so you can pick, do you want the supplement, which is easy, easy pill or a fruity drink, it's got the sugar, or you can eat real food that actually has the same effect if you get this maximum dose of arginine to fuel your pre-workout. So long story short, before I rock climb, and I, I want I want to go all all out on the, on the rock wall. I want to be able to lift weights afterwards. I want to be able to go on a swim after that. And I'm like, what does the science say about enhancing my workout? If you the science says, to my best knowledge, and please, if you have better evidence, send it to me. <laughs> if you get about 200 grams or a little bit more of these high arginine foods that promote this blood flow, like spinach, beet, uh, beets, for example, 200 grams, maybe like 200, 250 grams on your food scale in the kitchen, and throw it in your smoothie or you make a big salad um, with those things that um, improve blood flow. You're going to have this significant, and I mean, not just like statistically significant, which just means there's a detectable <laughs> amount, but you're going to like, all right, so say you have two identical people. I have a twin brother, so I'm just going to make it easy to understand. If it's me and my twin brother, Phil, and say we've got the exact same experience and muscles and strength and everything, 
and uh, make Phil the good guy. Phil eats his uh, smoothie, which had cherries, ginger, and beets in it. <laughs> Phil is going to work out a lot longer and a lot harder than me, noticeably, while we're at the gym. And that's just one smoothie. And so that's just one workout. So um, I always, so every pre-workout should include this measured amount of um, an arginine food. And that's just my first example of arginine because you can take your pre-workout supplement and go down the list and find every single synthetic ingredient that they created and put in there and then get your, and once you've read that at your friend's house, because he has it, you don't, you didn't buy, spend your money on the supplement. You're reading the ingredients list, then go to the grocery store, or first you got to research where you find those ingredients in nature. Then go to the grocery store and load up on your arugula for arginine and your all those new foods except for arginine. Next, your watermelon or watermelon seeds or other foods for citrulline, which is a precursor to arginine, <laughs> another amino acid. Um, and then if you're really just like you're getting your hands on all these studies and you're seeing all these things that might enhance your workout, get a source of caffeine, um, and that will produce noticeable effects on your energy levels. So um, just quickly keep going down the list. Uh, those are the main things. Um, mm-hmm. But then there's all these things that we're talking about where you can reduce joint pain with turmeric and stuff. So it's good to put things that might help in there too because it's the safe food. So things like um, blueberries for improving your blood vessels' ability to dilate and deliver nutrients and energy. Um, I don't have any science that says blueberries help exercise. We just have science that says that it's really good for your cardiovascular health. Um, but those other foods, it's like it's like the studies are done to prove to you how effective these foods are for fueling your workout. Um, and then that's the pre. Um, so, for example, smoothie. Watermelon makes it blend up well. Um, pistachios, for example, for that arginine source. Um and then uh, some ginger, because ginger is specifically shown in uh, controlled trials to help with muscle soreness, ginger and spinach. <laughs> so that's, a, that's like a mega, like king pre-workout smoothie if you have ginger and spinach um, and then the, the arginine and those things. You've got like, the, you have created your pre-workout supplement, except you made one that was tasty and had none of the potential contaminants or side effects. And it just gives you all those other nutrients that are just part of your normal daily daily requirements. And it's just that's just how the way we should practice, or just the way we should go about our lives, um, is yep. eating <laughs> for exercise. That, that does sound delicious. And um, then you're not getting all the, the synthetic colors, the artificial, the artificial flavors. Like it definitely sounds a giant smoothie sounds like the way to go. Um, yeah, all right. Or so, salad. Or salad. Yeah. So smoothie or salad pre-workout, what would be in your post-workout? Do you do another smoothie? Um, would you do like just a big meal? What's your go-to? The post-workout meal, the post-workout nutrition it's got to have beans in it. <laughs> and the thing is, if you're looking, sorry, this sounds really antagonistic, but if, and you probably, you might use protein powder. As I know you're a plant fuel, fuel athlete. Okay. Uh, but, uh, but I don't actually, I'm mostly whole foods, but okay, I'm yeah. not and opposed to it. If you 
really need to meet certain macro targets or right. short on time, but yes, no shade. And I respect everyone's, um, conclusion, but my personal argument is if you are trying to add in some protein, um, if that's what you're seeking to do, then I hypothesize that you are not eating the optimal amount of beans. You're not eating enough beans to give you the optimal health outcomes as we uh, predict them because the populations that eat the most beans that eat their beans for breakfast, they get all this fiber from beans have a much lower rate of um, cardiovascular diseases, for example, but also certain cancers. It's just, we need to be finding every way that we can include these super healthy foods in our, in our diet. And I feel like I'm glad that we got to protein and be, we quickly touched on protein and beans because we didn't really get to, ex we didn't get to explain that beans are really good for all those diseases that we talked about when it comes to preventing cardiovascular disease, hypertension, um, high cholesterol, diabetes, and cancer because of the phytonutrients in them, because of the fiber in them. Um, I believe that pharmacists should give people the option to say, okay, I see you are interested in this protein powder. Protein is in all foods. And if you eat enough beans, it's good for the disease that you're taking this medication for. It's good for your high blood pressure. It's amazing for your high blood pressure. So good for your cholesterol levels. And if you're trying to buy this powder, you're trying, you're trying to buy this protein powder, or maybe you're trying to buy this fiber powder supplement. And I'm the pharmacist. And what I, I'm just saying what I learned is you should eat your beans because you're supposed to based on most people's anatomy. <laughs> and um, if you disagree with that, that's fine. I respect it. But I'm just saying that's the, what the science and the, my teachers at school really showed me. Um, so that's just what I do. That's awesome. This has been incredible, but I just kind of want to wrap it up with like, we've discussed so much. We've covered so many different topics. If someone is listening to this right now and they just want, they, they're inspired, they want to make some drastic dietary changes. Where do they start? Um, do they talk to their doctor? Do like, what's your approach and keep it, keep it short, keep it simple. Sure. Um, just quick advice. Okay. So for anyone listening to this right now and wants to make some big changes to their lifestyle and dietary practices, um, what I tell people that come to me and ask me um, that are really interested and they say, how do you do it? How do you stay committed? Um, like, how do, you, how do I do this? And how does it, what can I do to change my life in this direction? I say, this is going to be cheesy, but... <laughs> I say you don't really have to do much of anything. You just have to be interested. Um, because you, so disclaimer, if you're just interested and you're not really getting the how-to, then your family will notice your meals that are not beautiful and colorful. <laughs> if, you're, if you're just reading the science and not learning how to cook um, in, a, in a pretty way, then that might not be that good. But I think all you need is to be interested and keep reading, keep watching. And a huge thing is um, for the social media that you use, follow a lot of people that really present this evidence-based information, including the ones you've said, like nutritionfacts.org, 
search nutrition facts org on Instagram, YouTube, mastering diabetes. Um, these are just a couple examples, and then they link to so many more people and studies too. Mm-hmm. And I, I personally, everyone's got their answers for where to start. But I believe that if you're just interested and you keep trying to prove to yourself, okay, what is the actual healthy thing for me to do today and this week, and what should I actually be buying at the grocery store this week? You just have to be interested in what can be good for your health enough, and you'll you're gonna see yourself picking up the things that you do need based off of what you've been looking at. And um, I know it's it's a little bit indirect <laughs> of a piece of advice to like just go do your own research. But um, once you really prove to yourself that this is actually just regular nutrition, trying to get all your vitamins and minerals in and get all the right food groups in, like after that, it's whatever you want it to be. And that looks different for everybody. And for me, um, I literally am just the most throw it together guy ever. And I barely follow recipes. I just, (laughs) I just listen to these doctors talking about how healthy certain foods are. I'm like, all right, that's going in my smoothie. These beans are going in my pasta (laughs) and, uh, it'll work out. Um, so that's why I made a disclaimer about uh, learning how to cook for good, tasty meals to impress your family. But um, just being interested in doing your research is um, really what seals the deal. No, that's great advice. Um, and just, so I just want to kind of close with this. Um, so if someone, they want to make dietary changes, they're on a few medications, they want to get off them. Um, are there just any safety considerations that we should just put Absolutely. out there? Um, do you just recommend they talk to their pharmacist or their doctor or like just any final words of advice or warnings? Absolutely. That's a very good um, end note to add because um, if you decide to make all of the dietary changes based off of one of these books, like How Not to Die, for example, or like another plant-based professional, and you, you go all in and you're still taking your medication for something like high blood pressure or diabetes, um, God forbid, other things too. But if you just go all in and you're still taking your prescribed drugs and you do all the lifestyle changes, you could have a super therapeutic effect. You might have too much medicine going into your body to the point where you turn your high blood pressure into low blood pressure. Um, That is very dangerous. If you turn your high blood glucose into severely low blood glucose in the case of diabetes, that's it's serious. Um, or if you think that you hear this and you stop your medication on your own, please do not do that. Um, please, please take your resource with you to your doctor, just in case they've never been exposed to this information and say, I'm just following this and I'm following this protocol about eating. And we need to look at my blood pressure, for example, or blood glucose and do the right thing with my medications. Here's my resource. Here's what I did today. And we need to make sure that I'm, I'm not having too much, too little. Tr- don't try to go on your own. If you are a young, healthy person and you don't, you've never been diagnosed with anything, then please uh, go plant based. <laughs> but if you have a disease that you are handling on a day to day basis that requires, or you've been told requires prescription medicine, please take the resources that you find and bring them to your doctor. And I want to say that a million times because. 
the role of the pharmacist is not to diagnose, prescribe. It's to be the medication expert that helps you out with all the side stuff, um, which can be very important. But um, please don't just do whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, take, no. take, take it one step at a time with your professional. That's, that's perfect. Thank you so much. That's a good uh, note to end on. I think I cannot thank you enough for coming on and sharing all your knowledge with us. Um, if anyone's listening and they want to reach out and connect with you, where can they find you? Um, I know you're on Instagram. Is that the best place? Yes. So that is the best place. And, um, like I want to say, I, there's nothing for sale that I do. Um, there's no like institution that's really making a lot of money based off of the things that I say. Um, I'm just an unpaid volunteer for a nonprofit um, website, nutritionfacts.org. And I just think everyone should check that out, but they, they don't make money or nobody's profits are increased when you look at it. Um, and then you can follow me at Dr. Greg Butler, Dr. Greg Butler on Instagram. And that's just, um, I'm going to get a little bit more into my Instagram life now that I've settled down after uh, childbirth and, and things but um that's where i share things and where i'm active we're going to be active and um there's no products for websites and um no um no offense to anybody that does there's no ads no discounts no products and i try not to say any brand names of anything because i believe this is just what people deserve to be told by their healthcare professional and there should be no distractions of is that person getting paid to say this so dr greg waller <laughs> awesome we'll link to that in the show notes too so it's just an easy click for everyone Again, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Cass. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Plant Fueled Podcast. Just a reminder, be sure to check out the show notes for all the resources mentioned and details on how to connect with our guest. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe and share the show with friends, family, or anyone else who may benefit. And one small favor, I would really appreciate it if you could leave a five-star rating or review wherever you are listening. It helps other people discover the show and spread this information. If you have any comments or feedback, please feel free to reach out to me on Instagram. Anyways, be sure to move your body, eat some plants, be grateful for the little things, and until next time.